It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Just like that, the second hour is here for Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. Hope you'll subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're watching. Hope you'll uh, continue to uh, use this radio station as a preset if you're listening on this great radio partner of ours across the Outkick platform. Chad show's flying by. We've got Mincy coming up. Ben Mintz, formerly of Barstool, and Wake Up Mincy. Uh, he'll join us in about an hour and 15 minutes from now. Should be a great conversation. It's about... only going to go faster, Hutton. That's it's right. flying by already. It's only going to get faster from here on out. Uh, Nancy Armore had a, another column uh, where she's you know, triggered about something. And in general, she's writing a column at USA Today about the those that are anti-biological men competing against biological women. And then the target turns into Sam Ponder, who's been outspoken, as has Sage Steele, as has Riley Gaines, Martina Navratilova, and others. And while Armour doesn't defend the idea of biological men competing and winning against biological women, winning championships at that, winning a spot on a podium over a female. She then rips Ponder instead of defending her stance, rips Ponder for bigotry, rips a woman for standing up for women's rights is the best way to describe what Nancy is doing in this recent column. And it's par for the course. Uh, she tweeted out that if ESPN Sam Ponder was truly concerned about women's sports, she's had ample opportunity in the last year to call it the inequities that actually do exist. She hasn't. This isn't about fairness. It's about her bigotry. And many are coming to Sam Ponder's defense, uh, including Sage Steele and others. Sage mentions that it's a it's lonely battle. I don't find it lonely at all. In fact, I think the vast majority of, of those that hear of this topic and discussion side with what we've said and what Riley Gaines stands for and what quote-unquote, the science stands for, uh, that biological men should not be competing against biological women. And it continues to happen, and it continues to not really be defended, but propped up as an argument for clicks by people like Nancy. And Sarah Spain, who's an ESPN employee, last I checked, liked a tweet calling Sam Ponder a bigot and then deleted that like at some point apparently, and uh, when asked for comment from OutKick, ESPN has not replied uh, to that about what happened w when you're attacking mm -hmm. one of your coworkers. Um, something else that Nancy Ar Armour, I guess it is, writes, quote, don't be fooled by the people who screech about fairness to cloak their bigotry towards transgender girls and women, the transgender girls and women who have the audacity to want to play sports in particular. No one is trying to stop transgender girls and women from playing sports they're not at all you got to play sports where you're biologically set to play sports in that's the argument from pretty much everyone in america there's not a hutton mentioned this but there's not a lot of explanation as to how this is fair leah thomas what happened there how that's fair 
I don't see a lot of explanation from Nancy. It's just an attack on Sam Ponder because how dare Sam Ponder take up this fight and this argument and not go after these other issues with women's sports. Some of which, some of which she brings up are fair points about women's sports being at a disadvantage overall. And Nancy has a problem with Sam Ponder caring about this issue and not speaking out against the other ones without offering a solution to this issue or even saying that Sam Ponder's really wrong, just hinting at Sam Ponder's bigotry being at play. This is all a cloak for bigotry. No, no, it's not. You can't try to get into the intention of what someone is saying. You have to weigh the merits of what they're saying. What Sam Ponder's saying, what I'm saying, what Hutton's saying, what virtually all of America is saying is that it is unfair for biological males to move over from men's or boys' sports and go into women's and girls' sports and start winning trophies in those sports. It's a very cut-and-dry argument. It does threaten women's and girls' sports if this continues to happen. And guess what's happening? It's continuing to happen regardless of motivation or intention, regardless of what anyone watching this thinks about my underlying sense of transgender rights or whatever's going on. The fact of the matter remains is it's unfair. And what Sam Ponder is saying is a fact. It's not opinion. It's fact. It's unfair. So I don't give a damn what Nancy Armour thinks about Sam Ponder's beliefs or if she's cloaking her bigotry behind this or whatever she thinks. What is she saying? Tell me where it's wrong. What she's saying is it's unfair, and you didn't tell me where it's wrong. You told me how this is a weapon used to cloak bigotry, and yada, 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 I don't care. Tell me what she's saying and where it's wrong. You can't. No one can. No, they don't go to that extreme. No one they, can. It's just, not even oh, the extreme. The, how dare you talk about this and not about the this? Argument. They can't make the argument that it's, that it's fair. It's just so tired. Yeah. And also to call, uh, what is the, the line about Riley Gaines? Um, calls her, what, an anti-trans activist? Riley Gaines is not an anti-trans activist. I've never heard Riley Gaines come on this show or any other one and, and be anti-trans. No. And in fact, we've, we've She's anti-men competing against women. Yeah. Which is what we've said. No one is saying stop doing what you're doing or, uh, you know, or else. It's stop trying to compete against women and taking titles and chances at a championship. Chances to compete and advance to the next round of something. It doesn't have to be for a, a title. Uh, taking a spot away from a biological female who Riley Gaines it's, tied with. Yeah. And they gave the trophy to, to Leah Thomas. Uh, it's, it's not a, a lonely fight. It's becoming uh, much more public, uh, specifically with ESPN personalities. Sage Steele and Samantha Ponder being the target of those that have tried to defend, can't, so they attack others. Uh, those at ESPN that do that are now having, to, like you said, you've got some that are, what, liking tweets that are, are going after Ponder? Yeah, Sarah Spain liked a tweet. I'm going to find yeah. the exact tweet she liked, but basically liked a tweet calling Sam Ponder a bigot. Which was the, that was the original uh, tease on the tweet for the story from Nancy Armour. It was bigotry. Well, and she's also, you know, and now we're getting into the in her piece, reading it, Nancy gets into Sam Ponder had some, I guess, uh, pro-Donald Trump tweets that she's saying weren't mm -hmm. handled the same way as Jamel Hill's. 
anti-Donald Trump tweets, but Jamel Hill was never disciplined for anything with that. She was disciplined because of her stance on the NFL, which is a league right. partner of ESPN. That, that was the problem after she was warned about it. Um, it's just all so stupid, right? I mean, get, let's get yeah. to the heart of the issue here and discuss what's really going on. There's uh, no he, common sense here. Yeah, Sarah Spain liked the tweet saying that Sam Ponder engages in bigotry from Nancy Armore. So she liked that tweet that we showed a second ago. That, that's where it gets into this. ESPN's got a fight on their hands right now with Sage Steele oversuing about her First Amendment rights with what she said about their COVID policy and vaccination policy. And this is, a, I think there was a story I read earlier from Variety that got into this. ESPN is tying themselves into a pretzel right now because they are fighting one lawsuit by claiming we have the right to do this, this, and this with something that we don't approve of or someone speaking out against policy. Right. And in the other breath, those same loyal law, lawyers are suing the state of Florida and Ron DeSantis because you can't stop us in our business because you don't approve of what we say. So they're arguing for Sage Steele, essentially, against the state of Florida in one lawsuit against them, and then arguing against their own stance against the state of Florida when arguing with Sage Steele and being sued for multi-millions of dollars. It's going to be a tough argument on either side. I don't, they're not winning both. They may win the fight against the state of Florida, but they're definitely losing the fight against Sage Steele if that happens. Well, and then also, you know, you got employees upset over the hiring of Pat McAfee. Well, you have 7,000 employees to the company being through Disney being let go, yep. being laid off to save over $5 billion on, on the payroll, on money being spent. Uh, yeah, this is just the surface level of it because more and more uh, females specific at ESPN are speaking out publicly about it. Those that were privately, Riley Gaines told us, privately saying, hey, thank you for saying this, keep up the good fight are now publicly tweeting those same comments. And they're taking the same heat that Riley has seen. But the more, again, it's not a, it's not lonely. It's not a lonely battle. It's the common sense aspect that's being stated that the quiet minority continues to chirp at. But they won't defend their side of the, of the issue. It's the bigotry on the other side that they'll point to or try to point to in this case. Chad, uh, the NBA is assessing their flopping rule where they're going to uh, assess, potentially assess a technical free throw, a, a one free throw, uh, if it is deemed uh, a flop. They're uh, thinking about running this through the summer league to see how it goes. I have no problem with it. Um, in fact, I mean, I also don't hate the fact if, if they want to take out the offensive foul altogether. But flopping can go on both sides of the floor. And I think it's also an effort to just kind of clean up the sloppiness that some of these regular season games can turn into. And it's also – there's a couple ways to administer this rule. I'm fascinated by it because, you know, how do you – The judgment of it? Yeah, like it's we can see the easy ones, right, if you review it and you go back and say, okay, that was definitely a flop or that was definitely exaggeration or whatever it may be, and you could assess a technical foul with that. But what if you gave the coach the option? or the player the option. And what I mean by that is this. We're facing a similar rule in college football 
where there's a problem with teams faking injuries to slow down the offense. Right. So I've always said, that's fine if you want to do that, but they got to sit out the rest of that series. If a player is injured and the game is stopped, they have to sit out a play or two, whatever it is. Whatever rule you want to put on, they got to come out for two plays, then they can reenter the game. That might slow down people faking injuries because they don't want their starting players to be exiting the game. What if a player flopped and a and a – an opposing coach challenged it and said, we're going to challenge that for a flop and a technical. And they said, you either get the technical or we don't review it and you can sit out for five minutes. You just got injured. If you're going to hit the deck that hard, you must be hurt. So now you have to exit the game for five minutes, almost a penalty box. Go sit over there. You hit the floor. We call the offensive foul. But because of that, because they challenged it, we can either go through with the review, but if you think you may have flopped, you can take the automatic five-minute assessment or we'll review it for a technical foul. Yeah. I love anything involving strategy, and I but, like that added element to it where we could just stop. It's almost like telling a, a runner, go ahead and take first instead of throwing the automatic walk. You can go to the coach say, we're going to review. They want to review this for flopping, and you could just say, just the foul stands, he sits for five minutes because he's hurt on that foul. Or go ahead and review it. We think he was actually fouled. And we'll see what happens. Maybe that's making it too complicated for people. Yeah, but, the, but I do like the coaching strategy part of it if you get called out for flopping. I, I think that it, there should be a, a bigger penalty if you get called out for it. I think the refs should just be able to, to know if there's an exaggeration or not. I don't see, think, I, don't, I don't think the refs can in real time. Oh, but it, th- this, is, this, this rule, though, is going to be in place because the refs screw this up all the time. They're calling offensive fouls for flopping. But, uh, and they're calling the foul, so this the only way to do it is to have a check and balance of, oh, you and fooled LeBron, me. LeBron's going to be called out right. for this. They're trying to stop them from fooling the ref. That's the issue is the ref is getting fooled by the player because of the flop. So you're going to have to have a review process to cut that out. I'm eager to see how they, how they try to police this during the summer league. Um, and a lot of it was you know Dylan Brooks and LeBron and, and some of the exaggerations that were going on, right? But in, in, in some cases, it's, it's a legit contact that where we saw legitimate players, uh, Ja Morant, Giannis, get hurt on taking offensive fouls uh, that were not flops, you know, just hard plays. So uh, there is a checks and balance, Chad, to it, but they've got to get the number down on the obvious ones. You know, if you have a couple of guys that hit the deck, whatever, but it's just a routine play now that they need to remove from the game. Uh, NBA ref, uh, Eric Lewis is his name, 19-year vet, removed uh, from his uh, burner account. It was deleted. Uh, pretty obvious that it's Eric Lewis who had a burner account on Twitter because he followed five people, including the George Mason, uh, George Mason Women's Hoops program because his wife is the head coach for George Mason's women's basketball program. He followed the NBA, the NBA PA, and a couple of others. But all he really did on this burner was go after those that were attacking him, you know, ripping him for being a bad official, or others on his crew or around the league. And it was so obvious that he gets called out for it and ends up deleting the, uh, the account. But those tweets last forever. And Eric Lewis had a burner to defend himself and others because officials nowadays can't do that publicly. Do you think Eric Lewis, because he's getting berated by fans and everyone online as an NBA official, he was in therapy, and his therapist said, 
Here's an exercise you can do. Create a fake account, and to exact some revenge, you can utilize the fake account and go after the haters, and that'll cleanse you of that anger and make you feel better about yourself, and then you can go about your day. Because the only reason you do this is to just feel better about yourself. Or, or try to... It's not doing anything. You have no followers, right? It's not like no you're followers. utilizing some massive account to shame someone. You're just saying exactly what you want to the people criticizing you because the league won't allow you to say it publicly. Yeah, they don't give you a voice. You can't speak. You have no voice. So now I have a fake account, and I can voice my displeasure with the people coming after me and my job. And But all it does is make Eric Lewis feel better. It really doesn't it even do anything bad to the person that's receiving the tweet. I, I don't get how it's that huge of a deal for the NBA. It's just funny well, to me. Well, it just made but it all obvious. it does is make Eric Lewis feel better. It made him feel better, but he made it so obvious because all he did was tweet about this. No followers, but followed his wife's women's basketball program. I love it. Along with the league. You go, Eric. Yeah, well, Eric, you tell I mean, those as haters. a 19-year NBA vet, when you see him, you've seen him uh, ref games. Uh, yeah, I wish the officials had more of a voice than what, what we're given on, on all of these platforms, on all of the major leagues uh, across the country. Eric took his voice back, and I respect him for it. Yes, yes. I want the league to pardon Not him. Not just do it through your Twitter account. I want a full pardon for Eric Lewis. That's what I want. No problems, no stipulations, no <laughs> punishment, nothing. I just want him to continue using that burner account to set the haters straight. That's what I want for Eric. Saban has uh, spoken at SEC spring meetings, which uh, kicked off uh, down in Florida. Trey Wallace is covering that for Outkick.com. We're going to dive into a story he's just posted about Saban and the current landscape of uh, college athletics, specifically football. And Eli Drinkwitz uh, has been very vocal about NIL and much more. We'll hit that, plus the big debate of eight games or nine games for the SEC regular season slate. That's next right here on Hot Mike. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Glad you're with us. Hope everyone had a great Memorial Day weekend. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Search out Outkick. You can see all of the great content there. Outkick.com as well. Chad, you uh, you were up in the Smokies this past week, and you got to see uh, our great friends at Old Smoky Moonshine and their, their great facility at Pigeon Forge. I did. I went to check out the island, which is a nice attraction area, sort of a theme park in the middle of Pigeon Forge. And Old Smoky has a venue location right in the middle of the island. And walked in, and uh, big thanks to uh, Adam here, who we work with, but also Mary and Casey uh, for offering up that moonshine tasting, which, let me tell you, after a day and a half at a water park with two kids under the age of nine, that moonshine tasting was much needed at that point in time. So <laughs> my wife thanks you. I thank you. Thank you very much to Old Smokey and Yeehaw Beer, great partner of ours. 
and they were a terrific partner on Saturday night. Uh, and, and continue to be uh, here here as well. If you're ever in the Nashville area, swing by Sixth and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. And that their the venue in, in Pigeon Forge is really cool. It's legit. Great, great yeah. location. Legit. Really nice. They got one in Gatlinburg too. Always a, a great venue for any of the spring meetings for the the major conferences, and that's of course at the very top for the SEC. Uh, down in uh, 30A in the, the Destin, Florida area, Chad. Um, plenty of news and headlines will be coming out throughout the week. Nick Saban is back on his platform that he was on, quite frankly, last year, discussing name, image, likeness, and not the fact that, that players or college athletes are able to make money. But now, you know, the discussion about, are we headed towards a player union? Are we... Uh, headed down a path of pay-for-play based on state laws and what is being proposed or thrown out there as what could be on the horizon. And he's pointing out taxes. He's pointing out unions. And you know, you're getting to a point where you're comparing yourself to the NFL. And Saban has mentioned today, the NFL has a salary cap. That makes things an even playing field. And in college football... It already was not an even playing field. And an uncapped ability of pay-for-play and an open portal, those two things combined make it a, a, a race every offseason to see who can become part of the haves and who remains part of the have-nots. Saban's going to be a part of the haves, regardless of what happens. Whatever rule is there, whatever guidelines are there, if there's a cap, if there's not a cap, he's going to be fine. His program will be fine. But he's not wrong in describing where we are in the landscape of college football specifically and where we could be headed if we really start to narrow it down to, okay, are we going to have player representation? Are they employees instead of you know, students? How, is, how are taxes going to be assessed? A lot of moving parts to all of this that he's preaching on today as they open up SEC spring meetings. Yeah. And, and again, I, I, it's hard to disagree with them because I, I come from the, I don't, it doesn't matter what rule is there or not. Bama is going to be Bama. So I, I can't just fire back and say, oh, of course Saban wants this because he's had it, he's had it great. Saban will adapt to whatever is there and win because of where he is. But can, can you do that at South Carolina? Can you be Shane Beamer and work a program up in the horizon that we can see for NIL and with the the openness of what could become the wild, wild west of pay for play? Saban's not wrong, and not just Saban will be in the haves. Alabama, whoever the coach is, will always be in the haves and not in the have-nots of college football. But he brings up some really good points about the making it professional and the taxes. And I think Nick Saban at one point said, no one liked it when I said this a few years ago, but we offer a lot of services to our players here that not every student is, is getting. There's tutoring involved. There's life skills being taught. There's a lot of things that now all of a sudden, if they're just an employee of the school, and I think he asked the question, are we going to tax them on the tutoring services that we offer them in order for them to try to go get their degree? Are we going to tax them on all these other things? Is this really what we want in college football? The, my answer to that is no. Yeah. I've never wanted this. I've never wanted college football to be completely professional. 
But there's a lot of people that are out there saying, well, okay, coach, would you just prefer it all to go back into the dark of night in terms of how players got paid? Because this has been going on for generations where players are getting paid one way or the other to go to a school and not go to another school. And I acknowledge that too. And my answer to that is sort of, yeah. I didn't mind it when there was a black market for these things. I kind of liked it better than it being out in the open and knowing how much of an NIL deal someone signed for and you know what knowing changed, everything else going on. The portal. The portal's the where portal's it really changing changed. it, yes. Uh, it, it's not that it's on, it's out in the open. It's that it's, it, you can do it every year. Right, like you can you can change your circumstance every year. You can poach and recruit and dive in and offer more based on which booster is ready to pony up. And the other area that it's it's really affect it's not the top tier though. Like I I totally agree. I, this has been going on for a long time with the top tier platform of players, but now you've got entire offensive lines getting paid something, and that that's where it's really changed. It's not. I don't think it's the upper crust that I'm referring to when I say it's it's a lot different than it was. I think it's more or less the 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 nucleus of a roster that's now getting something other than what they're getting through what was the quote unquote student athlete scholarship fund. That's really where it's different to me because I don't think those guys are getting paid to join a roster in order to be the you know starting right guard on a football team. No, but also where Nick Saban's going to get laughed at here, and, and people are right to laugh at him, is, is to not act like anything at Alabama is fair and equitable, as opposed right. to Northwestern or Iowa State or Ole Miss, or go on down the list of, of lesser programs than Alabama. That is the nature of college sports. I don't necessarily want to see that change. But when Saban starts talking about in the NFL, they have a salary cap. They have things to make it fair. Okay, I'm all for that. I love the NFL system. It is designed for everyone to go 500, and the smarter teams that draft better and do things better, they're going to be the ones that win and that get the right quarterback. Do we really want to see that in college football? Because that would also require college football programs drafting kids out of high school. There's just no way to make it fair. The NFL's fair because there's a draft. College football, you're still going to go recruit the best players if you're at Alabama. You're going to get better players than you're going to get at Illinois because players are going to want to come play at Alabama before Illinois. But here's the thing. Even if all things, all money are equal, the top programs will still prosper. No, but here's the thing. Mississippi State was once number one in the country. Ole Miss ended up with some great football players. And it wasn't, oh, look at how they're competing against Bama's. Why did those players not go to Alabama or Georgia or Florida? They've got to be cheating in Oxford. And this is, again, it's why a, it's immediate it's, accusation. It's pointless if it's to talk the, about it ever being fair. That's right. Because if it, it even if Saban gets his way, let's say we come up with a system, everyone gets X amount of NIL money, Saban and Alabama still win. Because now that those that the only way, I'm not saying this is a blanket truth, but it's, it's probably true with some players. The only way that Mississippi State or Ole Miss – in the same conference, in the same division as Alabama, is going to get certain players over Alabama or LSU or Texas or name these schools is by paying them more. I'll say the same about my alma mater. The only way certain kids are going to go to Tennessee over Georgia or Alabama right now is if Tennessee pays them a little bit more money. So let's go with what Nick Saban is saying. Some people are paying more than others. Great. Let's eliminate that. Everyone pays the same. It's going to reset back to the powers that be in college football the way it is right now. 
And those programs are still going to get the best guys. If you put the recruiting model in the NFL right now, and you said it's the same as college, no draft, teams, get to work on recruiting your college football players. You want to come play for your programs. Who's going to win? Who's going to win? It's going to be the ones with the best infrastructure, the best facilities, in the best city. Sort of like what we see right now in college football. Best tradition, best facilities, best chance to better themselves professionally within football. That's where kids are going, and you just add the money element to it. It's just never well, – I say all this to say, Hutton, it's never going to be perfectly a square deal. For everyone in college football. It's never, that's not what this sport is. If you want that, go to the NFL and be an NFL fan. Or It's never going to be completely fair for it, everyone in college sports. And ever. It, it won't be that way until the power two break off and form their own rules and commission. Uh, they, they come up with their own structure. Uh, and but even, even then, they'd have to implement a draft. Well, but but if they, if they want to implement their own policies and police name, image, likeness, and everything with a cap and a floor and whatever. Uh, that's a much more even playing field than what you have right now, where, I mean, based on the current structure, yes. And a, a much broader scale look at things, the 30,000-foot view look, it's going to end up being SEC and Big Ten still. That's what the debate about the grant of rights is over right now. Yep. That's what the ACC is arguing. ACC... Regardless of how good they are, Clemson could be great. But on average, it's going to be the Big Ten and the SEC that are going to be the front runners with everyone else trying to get a piece of the big pie, but not really getting the, the fair shot based on the money that's coming into those conferences. Allie in the YouTube chat says, Saban would love for things to be under the table again. And I say, Saban would love it either way. Salary cap or under the table again because a salary cap still benefits Alabama because it's Alabama and because it's Nick Saban. So if all things are equal, he feels like I'm still going to get a bulk of the best players in the country Yes. if everything's equal. What Nick Saban is decrying, if we're looking at this from a personal sense, and I think overall he is right. I will say his overall premise is when he asked the question, is this really what we want college sports to be? My answer is no. I don't think many people want it to be what it's becoming, but... If you want to look at it personally, what Nick Saban hates is that Texas A&M can go out and outbid, like he talked about a year ago, or that maybe Tennessee or Georgia has outbid him for someone. That's what he hates, the public knowledge of that, Well, that and- he lost a guy because he thinks it was purely about money, and he feels like if it were truly about sport and about the best program and about chances to improve to go to the NFL, well, that player surely would have picked me over that other guy. But I got hosed because of a paycheck. That's what he hates. Yeah. That's the personal part of Nick Saban coming out. Eli Drinkwitz is also uh, discussing uh, bigger topics at the SEC spring meetings. He's discussing NIL and the eight or nine game schedule. He's like, we we can plan world change on a grand scale uh, with the greatest military minds on the planet. But we can't get into a room and decide if we want to play eight or nine games. That was one. And then he also says that College players through name, image, likeness are making more money than his brother-in-law, who is a pediatrician. Quote, he saves lives, end quote. <laughs> that at Miramar uh, today for, for the SEC. Uh, it, it's funny. I'll also point out, Eli, that you make $6 million a year as a head football coach, more than the pediatrician. So, I mean, again, 
say say one thing, but look at the two million dollar raise you got to be the head coach at Missouri and go five hundred. <laughs> that that would be the perfectly well well said, Hutton. Also, if that was a follow up question, hey, have you saved any lives? Because you're making this much more than your pediatrician yeah. brother. How how is that fair? Um, yeah, I mean, this is more about power. It's a funny line. It's also more about power dynamic, and this is what really, I think, irks people, is this sounds like the millionaire guy who's now mad that one of his players might be making six figures. Yeah. The, the, the anger it about is- that. I mean, what, well, how can this kid actually have actual money when when I was in college I didn't have any money and I had to make my money later in life? That sounds like old man screaming, get off my lawn. He's also in a state that the state law is going to set up in his favor for in-state recruits to get pay-for-play and to get NIL in high school as long as you stay in-state and yeah. go to college in-state. Yeah, he should be all for it. I think Saban <laughs> I mean, has to hate Eli right now because of that law in the state I, I of like Missouri. The, I like the honesty and you know the brash approach to what he's saying. But at the same time, man, like look in the mirror. You're getting $6 million a year, and, I mean, you got it easy. You're not facing the pressure of... Saving the, a child? The, the, yeah, of being a pediatrician. <laughs> it's, uh, well, he's, he's not acknowledging the truth about entertainment and sport. Yes. That we can go down the list of this civil engineer's job that's working for the state or the government, yeah. that's this, building that bridge in that city, is way more important... <laughs> than this kid playing outside linebacker <laughs> in college football in terms of what their job really is. But how does this guy make that much more money? This guy that's going to uh, star in TV shows and movies to entertain us, that's making millions and has become a billionaire over the years. Their job is far less important than the person that's the head of the public school system in some major city. I mean, we could go through this. It's not fair, but it's about market and how much yes. money's being generated. Same goes for Eli. He benefits from that system. He benefits from that free market. So spare me. But if he the, doesn't, my brother saves lives and this kid doesn't. Yeah. If he doesn't benefit, though, it's on him and he loses his gig. He's got to benefit. So let's based get into the losing way, the gig based and on the way it's set up. The first thing that you brought up about the schedule, and yeah. and I want to tie this into losing your gig. Okay. If I'm an SEC coach. And I'm Eli Drinkwitz, let's say, at yeah. Missouri. Or I'm, you know, name the coach, Mark Stoops at Kentucky. Or I'm Clark Lee at Vanderbilt. Pittman. And I'm looking around and I'm saying, okay, you want us to go to nine SEC games. And you want us to do that even when ESPN is saying, we are laying people off left and right and we're not going to give you more money right now. You've got the contract is the contract. Do whatever you want. Great for us if you decide to go to nine games. Only helps our partnership, and we'll talk about it at the next contract, but you're not getting any more money for it. If I'm one of those coaches, I am standing on the table and screaming, why would I want to go play a ninth SEC game when I can show you my contract right now? This is a piece of paper, not my contract. But he's going to present a contract and say, it says I get X amount more money if I win seven or eight games or if I get to a bowl game. How on earth does it benefit me or my school or my program to go play an extra SEC game that, oh, by the way, we very well may lose when I can go schedule another win? Now, this is being very selfish of me if I'm the coach. But if I'm tied into a contract that's all about accumulating wins and having a better win-loss record, 
I'm not compelled to do anything until the SEC and Greg Sankey come in and say, guess what, the check is going to be X amount more now for that ninth game, starting now. Starting now, we're going to play the ninth game, and you're going to make X amount more. If the money's equal to all the programs, I can fully understand the coaches saying, I'm not into it. I'd rather play a homecoming game against directional school tech A&M instead of play another SEC game and get that extra win. But it's not what's best for the sport, and it's not what's best for the SEC. But I'm talking about what's best for the individual coach yeah, right to, now. To just maintain your And gig. that's what they're going to argue because they're being selfish. And I yeah. can understand that selfishness. But the, the, the opposing argument doesn't have to be about ESPN and the contract. It could be just Nick Saban has been the face of college athletic coaching. And he's been vocal and has wanted nine games for years. And nothing to do with the new TV contract. But he's not like. But again, you, but if I if I'm if one you, of the coaches, if you have I seven describe, wins at Kentucky, you get another year tacked on, and I'm thinking, okay, but you're also arguing whether or not you're a football or basketball school. Well, the only the only person that can even claim the power of Nick Saban right now, this second, is Kirby Smart, right at Georgia. So again, if I'm one of the other twelve coaches, I'm like, great, Nick Saban is never going to get fired, and has already won multiple national championships. I'm trying to win one. And I'm trying to get to but a point where I'm not going to get fired. It's because of the perception of Saban and of Kirby Smart that they're propped up whenever they win six games, right? And that part of that six is the schedule that they're already currently playing. But it's also going to be propped up whenever they expand the playoff, which is also going to bring in more revenue. And it's also going to give you a better chance of actually getting into a 12-team playoff based on the final rankings if you play a tougher schedule. I would also factor that in. The, that, that extra loss isn't going to hurt you if the extra loss is to Alabama or Georgia, because they wouldn't, wouldn't normally be on your schedule. Now, if you're going to lose to a team that is among the hypothetical coach that we're discussing, like Vandy or Kentucky or you know in Missouri, South Carolina, insert school here, the, the group of seven or however many we want to point to, then yeah, but you're always going to be scrutinized for losing at that caliber. And you're probably on the verge of losing your job if you're losing at that caliber. Just ask a Florida coach. If, so, it's, if it's all about the money, though, I can understand the coach is saying, let's see the money, and then we'll do it. I, I, I'm not in a big rush if I'm the bottom half of the league to do this. Now, if I'm the top half or I'm securing my job, sure. But, but they're Let's already, bring on the bigger games. And if I think if I – because right now I think only the top half of the league is legitimately saying we have a chance to compete – for a college football national championship. But they're, they've already playoff. seen the money, though. They're getting $60 million on average for the TV deal. What was the TV deal for CBS and just the 230 slot? It was the cushiest contract going in the SEC, well, in, in sports period, for the ratings they were pulling in. So I would, I would say ESPN's already shown you the money. And if you want it to be on the Big Ten's side of things, why don't we see what actually that deal looks like? before we criticize where we are compared to where the and, Big Ten and is. And start when they start paying that money, when this contract's up. That, if ESPN's yes. not going to renegotiate right now, which they're not, I don't think, they're going to say, if you want to do nine, great, go at it, but we're not giving you any more money until this contract's up. I think if it's all about the money, then don't start it until the money's going to change because you're negotiating nine games within the next contract. That's where I think some coaches may fall. Why change what we think is okay right now? And then we'll go with the nine-game format when we're going to get more money for it. And or you can show me 
where playing nine SEC games is somehow going to get six SEC teams into a field of 12 for a college football playoff, and then that's going to lead to more money for my program that has no chance of playing in the playoff. It may Well, so the perfect example of that would be Kentucky when they finished, what, second in the East? Was it two years ago? Three years ago now? Yeah. Whenever it was. They, they would have been in the college football two playoff years ago. that year. They didn't go to the SEC championship game, but they would have gone to the college football playoff based on where they finished. Um, and that, that, you know, losing an extra SEC game would not have, I don't think would have hurt them if it's one of the top teams. Losing a, a, a current bottom half of the league team in the SEC would hurt you. But a lot of those teams are a part of that group. You're, you're playing that gauntlet anyway. And then ask A&M if it hurts to lose to Appalachian State. Yes, it does. Yeah, so, A&M would have loved to have had an extra league game <laughs> league to game. put on the, the losers total and then at the, the end of the year. Then the playoff game, you're potentially hosting. You're potentially getting another win in the playoff. It's another opportunity to get to your win total. Like it, it, to me, it's not just tied to the I want to see it because it's better contract. for the sport overall and better for the league and gives you more compelling weekends. I'm just presenting the argument of if I'm one of the coaches, I'm, I, I could see them saying they can't come up with a solution because plenty of coaches are probably saying, okay, show me that next TV contract, then we'll do it. Yeah. If they're not going to give us more money now, we like it the way it is. We, we like that clause in my contract that says bowl eligible and I get 500K extra at the end of the year. They love that. I'm guessing the college basketball coaches didn't like it six years ago when Sankey walked in and said, hey, uh, get to it, shape up. Well, he said that your the, sports. He said that to the ADs, and they went out and Schedule fired better. their current coaches and hired a bunch Schedule of people better. better at it. Yeah, and the, the league as a, as, a, as a group really, I mean, they took over. They're right there now for college hoops. But the difference is the SEC has never been a laughing stock in football. No, and they won't and they be either way. They don't have though. to threaten them the way that when the, when the basketball programs produced three or four teams in the tournament, that was an embarrassment. A collegiate golfer had to withdraw for a awful injury on the course. That's next on Hot Mike. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hot Mike with Hunt Withrow rolls on. Sixth and Peabody, our location with E-Hot Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad, I, uh, there are painful injuries on the course. We've seen celebrations on a par three hole-in-one, oh. right? Where yeah. you turn an ankle or whatever. There's uh, Some ruptured Achilles tendons out yeah, there. Yeah, sure, sure. There's a collegiate golfer at Oregon, Greg Solhog. He was two over through nine, going to ten, or through ten. Two over through ten. Second round of the national championships. And he had to withdraw because he stepped on a tee while on the tee box. Took a step, stepped on a tee that went through his shoe and into his foot. 
And I'm thinking like Home Alone style, where you have Marv, Marv trying to go up the tarred uh, the, the steps of the basement up to the, the first floor of the house. And he steps on that rusty nail that's through the shingle that's been tarred. And I, I'm immediately thinking about that and the scream as he falls backwards. And he was like limping. He tried to finish and couldn't finish. And the coach just finally said, hey, man, we're going to have to replace you. But they, uh, Oregon didn't finish that high uh, for the championships. Well, they, they're not as they continue, I believe. But the, the, uh, the pain of that. Well, it just. And I'm thinking, like, it, it, I've never heard of that before. Well, I just well, a spent golf an tee entire, going through a shoe. As someone who just spent an entire weekend walking around on pavement barefoot at a water park, this really hits yeah. close to home. Thinking about stepping through something because everywhere I was walking, I'm thinking, you know, there's, I better look where I'm going because there could be something tetanusy that I could step on at any point. A lot of grocery feet out there. Tons of grocery feet. My my youngest daughter included the whole time. I was scrubbing her feet all weekend. I was like, uh, you know, Jesus washing the feet with the hair the entire time with my daughter who had bad grocery tears. feet. For those who've never heard of grocery feet. It's that black tarry substance that gets on the bottom of your feet when little, uh, you know, here in the South, we call little redneck kids run around the grocery stores and they get barefoot and they get their grocery feet. Um, (laughs) My daughter's had grocery feet all weekend. But this is a terrifying story. Speaking of water parks. Oh, yeah. I've never heard of anything like that on the golf course. Um, Also at a water park. How many, you're constantly looking for the, the wet spot on the concrete or pavement so that your foot doesn't burn as you go up the steps or towards the next ride. And you're constantly, for me, yelling at kids to not run, run. because you see people just hitting their head on the pavement because they're sprinting everywhere. Sounds like hell. It's one man's hell's another man's heaven. <laughs> That's all Chapel's I'll say. in heaven in the That's Smokies. All I'll say. Jimmy G's future, it's up for grabs right now in, in Las Vegas. We'll discuss. We'll discuss.